The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. glad to have the Reverend Richard Smith with us. He's not a stranger to us. He's been here a number of times over the past few years. He's been at Penn State for almost five years now, working with the international community there. And we who attend Presbytery uh, every few months get to hear Richard's amazing stories about the international community and their openness to the gospel and their interest in coming to these events, even though they, um, many of them don't profess faith, at least not as of yet. Some do. Um, but it's always good to hear from him. Uh, as you read in the bulletin, there are over 9,000 international students at Penn State. I think 9,100, Richard said. And that's the 10th largest concentration of international students at a university in the United States. Um, so he's going to give us a brief report for a few minutes and then preach the Word of God to us. And so we're so glad he's here. I would like to thank everyone here. Uh, Westminster was my first supporting church when I got here. Uh, just uh, have y'all been incredibly nice and incredibly generous at what y'all have done for us. And just want to tell you this, uh, this past week, well, actually in the last month or so, we're fully funded. And God's been very gracious. Uh, it's taken four years, but uh, God's been very gracious with that. Uh, just a little report about what's going on uh, at, at Penn State uh, and something that I think uh, you'd be interested in. Uh, one of the things I always do, I always wonder what to do with, with international emails. We have right now about 500 on our mailing list and I always wonder if they're still there or not because <laughs> there's no way of really telling. You can tell if somebody's opened the email but you can't tell if they're have gone to their country or what. And I've learned one thing this last week or so is that I should never erase an email. Not long ago, one of our, uh, a student from Pakistan came to one of our events. We had a game night and she is getting her PhD in health services. And uh, I'd never seen her before. I went to pick up students on campus and she was sort of standing there, and I walked up to her, and I said, are you coming for the game night? She said, yes. I said, well, I, I don't know you. Who are you? And she told me, and I said, have you ever come to anything? No. He, I said, well, how long have you been on our mailing list? She said, two years. And I said, oh, what made you come tonight? She said, I've been here two years. All I've done is study, and I need to meet some people because I'm lonely. And, and she came that night and she found out she loves the game Jenga. <laughs> and she had a ball with it. And the next week she came to our dinner and discussion Bible study and then brought her husband. And, she, and they have been a fixture ever since. 
And this past week, uh, another lady, uh, I, we have a, a small uh, summer Bible study that meets in homes. And I went, uh, I went to pick up students, me and another volunteer, and we, uh, this lady walked up to me, and I thought I recognized her. And she said, well, remember me? I'm from Brazil. Uh, I was here a year and a half ago for, a year, for, a half, for six months. Well, I'm back. And, and I saw your email, and she'd been on our email for, six and a, for a year and a half in Brazil. And she said, I couldn't wait to get back and become more involved in your group. And so I don't touch the emails. I just I let them unsubscribe us, you know, because you never know what God's going to do, what God is going to bring you in those situations. So let me encourage you now to take your scriptures and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. And uh, let, me, let me warn you, first of all, uh, you may get it real excited. It's only two verses tonight. And I can tell you this, you can lose all hope. Because, you know, two, two verses, especially these two verses, are a wealth of gospel. So let me, let me read the, this passage. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine... According to his power that is in work within us, to him be glory in the church and Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is powerful. We pray, Father, tonight that you'll do heart surgery on us, that you'll change our hearts, that you'll encourage us as we come before you to listen to this word. For us in Christ's name I pray, amen. When I was in college, I belonged to a group called InterVarsity. Many of y'all know who InterVarsity is, okay? And see, back in those days, I'm an old guy, and back in those days, RUF only was on two campuses. But the campus I went to, Winthrop College in Rock Hill, South Carolina, didn't have an RUF. And I went to InterVarsity, and we did, used to do retreats. And one time we did a, a retreat, and we had a guy come speak to us. This is back in 1980. And David uh, was born in China in the 30s. His parents were part of the old Inland China Mission. And uh, they were chased out, I think, in 48 or 49. I forget the, the dates there, he told us. And he came there to speak to us about missions. And he began to tell us the story about him being invited back to China in 1980. Early that year, he got a letter, because China had opened up, and he got a letter from someone that used to be a childhood friend uh, in China. And so he answered the letter and said, listen, I would love to come there. And, and David began to think about the church in China, and he was very sad, because he, he told us you know, he, he just knew that there was no church left at all. Uh, they, when they left, Mao was, was killing Christians. Uh, and after the Cultural Revolution, they, they got rid of all the Bibles. They got rid of anybody that was a Christian, they got rid of. And he said, I, I just still myself, when I came to China, that all I would be there is in a room of maybe 12 people, and they're all going to be my age. So 
he agreed with his friend that he would come visit him in China. So he flew to Beijing and went four hours south of Beijing to the old town where their mission station was. And he was on the train. As the train pulled into the station, they noticed there was this huge crowd outside. And David decided that, you know, I don't need to get into that crowd of people because uh, I won't be able to find my friend. And plus, there may be somebody real important on this train. And I don't want to get in the middle of all that. So he just waited for about 20 minutes. And the only thing that happened was the crowd got bigger. And finally, uh, this older gentleman walked onto the train and David noticed it was his childhood friend. And they greeted one another and he said, David, why aren't you getting off the train? He said, well, it's, it's all these people. He said that obviously there's some high official here and I didn't want to get lost in the crowd. He said, David, David, it's the church. He said, what? Well, the church came to see you. And he walked down on the the platform and there were 3,000 people there to greet him. 3,000 people, all ages from a little babies all the way up to people his age. And you know, he told us I was ashamed. I did not think that God would be able to sustain the church. But of course, we know, that we know what happened is that the church under Mao and, uh, and other leaders in China actually grew. It grew to the, as of to today, probably China is very close to having more Christians than any other country in the world. Certainly by 2030, they will. And, uh, you know, right now, the, the president of China, Xi, is trying to sort of stamp out Christianity right now. And he's doing the worst thing he could possibly do. Because when the church is under pressure, there in China, the church grows. It grows. But David told us, he said, listen, and with tears in his eyes, I did not think God was able to do this. I was so wrong. Tonight, that's what we're going to look at. The God who is able. And we're going to talk about how God is able to work in your life and my life, but also in the life of the church around this world. So let's dig into our scripture this morning, this afternoon, excuse me. And let's see what God is going to teach us. First of all, how is God able? How is God able? How is he able? Well, first of all, he's able because he is alive and ready to work. The Lord of heaven is not dead, as many people in our culture would want to believe today. Uh, He is not dead at all. Back in the 1960s, uh, Time magazine had a front uh, cover from a group of theologians in, at the Chandler Theological uh, Seminary at, at Emory in Atlanta. And they had started a new movement. It's called the God is Dead Movement. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. And it's interesting the other day, I, I was reading uh, an obituary that the last person that, this, that uh, was the uh, uh, main torchbearer of that movement just died. So guess what? All those people that said God is dead, they're dead. But our God is still alive. And he's been alive. 
and he's at work in this world. You see, there's no inability with our God. No inability whatsoever. Let me take you in the Old Testament and, and 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 18, and tell you the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Many of you know that story where uh, Israel was, was vacillating between Yahweh and the prophets of Baal, or Baal the God. And Elijah appears before Ahab, the king, and says, let's have a contest and see who is going to be the God of Israel. And so they had this contest, which both, uh, both groups would build altars and put wood and the sacrifices on the altars, but not the fire. And then they will pray and ask their God to bring down fire from heaven. And so Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. And they did, and they, and they built their altar. They, they put all the stuff they needed on it, and they danced around the altar for, for, for really hours, and nothing happened. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story because it's the first time you find taunting in the Bible. Because Elijah sits over there. I can imagine him just sitting there going, Hey, where's your God? He may be asleep. You may, you're going to have to cry a little louder. It actually says, maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> he may be in the bathroom. Now cry a little louder. He can't hear you. Eventually what happens, uh, the prophets of Baal, just, they just sort of flake out. Then Elijah rebuilds the altar of God, the sacrifice, uh, the wood, the sacrifice, and, and then he does something unusual. He, puts, he builds a, a, a trench around the altar and starts putting water on it. Listen, I live in State College. You know, I'm, I don't know what that yellow thing in the sky is <laughs> because it, it stays rainy up there all the time. I mean, we just went through about nine days of straight rain. And, the one, and I learned one thing from that. If you want to burn something, you don't get it wet. And that's what Elijah did. He got it wet. And he sat down and, and he actually they filled the trench up with water. And this is what the scripture say, says next. They, it says that Elijah prayed and fire came down to heaven. And what did they do? It burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. It burned up the water. And it burned up the ground. It's as though God put an exclamation point in history and said, I am God. I am God. That's the kind of God that is alive. But yet, there are times, there are times that we need to be reminded of God's activity. That we think that our God isn't alive by our own actions. Uh, same story, next chapter. Uh, the the queen of Israel finds out what Elijah has done, uh, Queen Jezebel. And she sends word to Elijah, I have a contract out on you, and I'm going to kill you. What does Elijah do? Does he stand up to her? No, he runs. And, and you look at it and go, I wouldn't do that. Yes, you would. Because we are no different than him. We see the mighty acts of God what God has done in your own life. And we still doubt him. 
and doubt his love and doubt his grace. So what happens to Elijah? He runs and he ends up in a cave. And when God comes to them, comes to him, he says, listen, I'm the only one that's been faithful. Kill me. I'm finished. And God very, very gently says, listen, listen, there's 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed down to the Baals. I want you to go anoint some kings and they'll take care of the Baals over history. All the, left, the, the prophets that are left. And he said, your work is not finished. But yet, there are times when we doubt. But yet, the scriptures and the history of missions are filled with, with the God who is alive and his work. Because he is the God who is alive. Secondly, after we've seen how, that our God is, is able because he's alive and ready to work. We see a God that is able to do all that we ask the words here can also be translated immeasurably more, vastly more, that shows that our God has no limits, for he is a God of superabundance. The one thing we have to remember is that our God is not a cosmic Santa Claus or someone that we bring a list of demands to uh, which hold God hostage. Our first Bible study we ever had four years ago or so um, we had a, a, a Ph.D. Chinese student who just graduated with his, with his Ph.D., uh, and he, uh, he's an astronomer. And uh, during the Bible study, uh, I asked him if, if they would have any prayer requests. Well, he, he amazed me because he not had shown any spiritual interest whatsoever. And he raised his hand and said, Listen, uh, Mr. Smith, can you pray that my advisor doesn't call me every weekend to come into work. Because uh, his particular advisor was one that worked his, his international students very hard. Uh, they're only supposed to work 20 hours a week. He was working them more like 50 hours a week. And, and I said, well, Guam, I'll, I'll pray that. So I prayed it. And about two weeks later, I'd forgotten to ask him at the next Bible study, what happened? And finally I said, Guam, what happened to your to your uh to your advisor and he said oh mr smith ever since you prayed that my advisor hasn't called me out on the weekends what else can we pray for and then just like your children you have those teachable moments you have to use to sort of teach a little bit about prayer and that you know god's just not santa claus and things like that but but one thing that guam learned that day was our god is alive and he is at work, and he is able. And he is able if we just ask, if we just ask. You see, the Lord hears our prayers. How often do we not pray because we do not believe he will give, or that we are afraid of the answer? That we are afraid of the answer. You know, when I got to State College, I was excited because there are 2,500 Muslims on campus. And from all the countries that we can't go to. And, but I also knew the reality of it. The reality is Muslims don't come to Christ very quickly. At least in our context. And so I, I just thought, well, in about five or six years, I'll have a convert, maybe. And the first person that we had come to Christ our first year was a Muslim from Kuwait. And I felt ashamed 
I just not, did not believe God could do something like that that quickly. You know, missionaries overseas in the Muslim world, some of them stay there almost their whole lives and never have a convert. And here, this young man comes to Christ. He comes to Christ. It taught me that our God is able to do all that we ask. All that we ask. That we need to be bold with our asking with him. That we need to understand that God is for us. He's not against us. Now, again, we don't need to ask frivolous things. But yet, God can do it. God can do it. So what we've seen, first of all, is how our God is able, because he's alive and ready to work. That secondly, that our God is able to do all that we ask. Thirdly, God is able to do more than we can imagine. Um, I am a child of the Cold War. And many of you that sit here today, tonight, you're, you're that child, you're a child too of the Cold War. I was born in 1958. I never knew what it was like not to live under the threat of the Soviet Union attacking the United States for many years. And if you're, if you're honest with me, uh, you would probably say back in the 60s and the 70s, we never thought, never thought that the USSR would ever not exist. It would always be. But in 1960, a group of people started meeting together and one of the things that they were praying was that the Soviet Union would uh, disintegrate without a loss of life. And, and people laughed at them. They said, that, that's foolishness. That can never happen. It's not going to happen. But yet they had the imagination to at least imagine it. What God could do. And of course, you go forward to 1989. I'll never forget sitting with my parents. I was home from uh, uh, I was home from the church where I worked at in Atlanta, and we started watching the wall being torn down. And I just was amazed. And nobody was being killed. No missiles were being shot off. The whole system was was imploding under its own weight. And nobody died. And yet these people back in, the, in 1960, God said in their heart to pray this. And it happened. They could imagine it. You see, he is able to answer beyond our imagination and faith. Our Father knows what we need. He wants to stretch our faith and help us use our imagination to pray for those things that, what, by what God can do in this world through the gospel. You know, I'm a living example of that. I am not from up here. I am from the deep south. And I made a statement 10 years ago. I will never live up north. And my wife constantly reminds me of that statement. And, uh, but God has a sense of humor. Uh, when, the, when the RUF came to, to uh, interview us and we went off to their assessment center, 
One of the things they told us at the end of the assessment, they said, y'all are great, y'all do great, but we're not going to take you up north. And I was so relieved. And uh, later on, uh, my, uh, my former boss, uh, who's now retired, he called me up one day because we thought we were going to Virginia Tech in 2016. And he called me up and he said, I need you to sit down because I need to tell you something. And I said, what is that? So he began to tell me this story about this place that had the 10th largest group of internationals in America. Someone got a vision for RUFI there. Uh, the church got behind it. The presbytery got behind it. And somebody gave money. And he said, it's going to happen. And it won't, we want it to be you. And he wasn't telling me where. And so uh, I, I've told this story before, uh, but he, I said, Al, where is this place? And he said, well, let me put it this way. It has the most southern light campus of any northern university. And I said, where am I going? And he said, you're going to Penn State. I knew two things about Penn State. Two things. I knew they had white uniforms. And I knew it was in a town called Happy Valley, and that was wrong. And I knew, no, I knew one person in the whole state of Pennsylvania. And God said, I'm going to do more than you can imagine. I'm going to take you somewhere, plop you down, and you're going to get to do what you love to do for the rest of your life. See, our God knows how to stretch us. And we have to be willing and able to be stretched. He might, there may be something in your life right now that God wants to work. And you need to stretch out of what you're familiar with and allow him to do it. Uh, what you just said about the Congolese uh, um, refugees. Do it. You'll end up with lifetime friends. You'll also eat food you've never eaten before. And that's good for us. And you can minister to people and help, help them come to the gospel. So what we've seen now is how our God is able, how uh, he's able to do all that uh, we ask, that our God is able to do more than we can imagine. And next, our, that Christ is able to do this because his power is at work in us. Look at me uh, in, in our scripture there in verse 20 again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. Christ is able to do this through us because God is at work through his Holy Spirit in our lives. He's changing us to fully believe the things that we can imagine that he can set us through to do. But it works through the Holy Spirit and he changes us. He changed me. That's that stupid thing that I said 10 years ago. He changed me. We love it up here now. In fact, my wife, who's from Atlanta, told me the other day, she said, do we ever have to move back to where it's hot? Because we used to live about two miles from the sun. That's where we lived. So. But God is changing us. I, when I was in high school, there was a couple of guys in my hometown who were, you know, you know, you have, you have your high school annuals, and they said, 
people that are most likely to whatever. Well, these guys were the two most likely to end up in jail first. All right. And one night they decided that what they're going to do, they're going to go out and knock down mailboxes. And so one night they knocked down 200 mailboxes. Number one, that's, of course, that's a state offense. It's also a federal offense. And so, um, uh, but they got away with it. And these guys, they weren't known to be very smart. So what did they do the next night? They went out and started knocking down mailboxes. Well, the highway patrolman uh, grabbed them, took them into jail. And uh, in the next couple of days, they ended up before a judge. Now, back in these days, judges had a bit more leeway in, in sentencing. And so they appeared before them, and he gave them a choice. He said this, two years in jail, or I'll send you to a semi-tropical island. And they, they sort of looked at each other and said, a semi-tropical island? Well, that sounds pretty good. Better than two years in jail. We'll go there. And the judge said, the name of the island is Paris Island. Any ex-Marines here? Uh, yeah. And so they, they went off to Paris Island for, for basic training. And six months later, they came back to my hometown. The two most together guys you ever seen in your life. Because at Paris Island, what they do to you, they tear you down and then they build you up. They change your life. And both of them became lifers in the Marine Corps. I think both of them ended up being officers too. But that's what God does with us. He builds us, he tears us down. And by God's grace, he builds us up. He lets us see our sin, our weakness. And then he comes in his Holy Spirit, he changes our lives. He gives us something to do. He gives us ministry, a purpose. And that's what God is doing to you. You see, as the Spirit works in me, He changes me to believe more and more in the power of God and what He can do through me. He gives me the passion and will give you the passion to reach others and even others outside your culture. Because we have been made to do that, guys. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship. He has molded us, molded us to do this. To do what? To do those things that God has prepared for us to do. Before the world began. Our job is to grab hold of that. To grab hold of that. And the, the rest of the, of the verse here, to, to him be glory in the church and Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever, amen. You know, we, we have a response to this, a response to how God is alive, a response to how God can do all that we ask, how God can do more than we can imagine, how God can change us. What's our response? It's giving God glory in our lives, to do the work of the Savior in our lives, to tell others about Jesus. I have the privilege of doing that every single day. Giving God the glory. 
You know, I was in the, in the church for 29 years, and I love the church. And, uh, and I love the people in the churches I served. But there's one day of the week I hated, and that's Monday morning. Because Monday morning, you got the complaint phone calls in the office. Why wasn't this done? What was going about this? What, what about this? Why did you change that? You know, uh, somebody did this and that. And, and I, I, sometimes I wish I'd taken Mondays off, but then they'll come on Tuesdays. And they'll be, they'll be, they'll be really mad on Tuesday. <laughs> so, and I remember being at Oakwood my first couple of months and hearing the pastor feel those phone calls and thinking, I don't have to do that anymore. I get to go out every day with almost 100% non-believers and tell them about Jesus. And tell them about Jesus. And give God the glory. You see, he made us to give him glory because we're able to glorify him by working his work in this world. This is our ultimate goal, is to glorify him. Now, how, how can I apply all this? How can I apply all this? First of all, why limit your prayers, but pray with boldness to the Father? Don't limit your prayers. Pray that God would work in your life. Ask him to stretch you beyond where you are right now. And you don't have to be 80 years or 90 years old to pray that. You don't have to be 10 years old to pray that because God wants all of us to pray that. Because until you leave this life, God is going to use you. In one shape or another, he's going to use you. Secondly, the Lord's blessings are limitless, but we're the ones that limit his generosity in working through us. <clears throat> we have to learn to step out on faith. I'll never forget the first day I was at Penn State. Uh, if if y'all know the campus, I was I walked on campus right in front of the corner room there, and right beside the Hammond Building where all the engineers, uh, you know, do their thing. And I remember I took a picture of my first foot walking on campus, and I stopped and went, "Well, now what?" But that first foot started on an adventure. That first step started an adventure, and that first step was a step of faith. That same thing can happen to you if you step out. Thirdly, we do not ask because we just don't believe. We don't ask because we just don't believe that God can do this. Uh, back when I was in the, in the church, uh, we had a lady that had gained almost 300 pounds of water weight. She was in the hospital. And my session and I went over there and we prayed over. And one of my elders, as we were leaving, he said, what do you think God's going to do? I said, I don't know. But, you know, I believe that he's going to work in her life. And that day, she started losing two pounds a day. She walked out of the hospital, had lost 317 pounds. It says in James, call the elders together and pray for those who are sick and believe. You know, we need to believe what God can do. And we need to ask God and say this, as the man in, in, in Mark did over his son, 
Yes, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. Fourthly, we should trust the Lord to do the work in us and prepare the church to minister for him in this world. You know, God is preparing you as ministers in this world. You know, I, you know, I have volunteers that help me. You know, we have 9,000 international students. At, at most, I can minister at the same time as about 20 or 30. And yet, I have 14 volunteers that help me all the time because they want to minister to internationals. Well, the same thing about this church. You should be ready and willing to minister. Where God has gifted you and where God has called you to do, do it. Do it for Christ. And finally, ask the Lord to help us look beyond what we can see. Ask the Lord to help us look beyond that we can see. You know, back when I made that stupid statement about not moving, I could ever see myself living up here. And God took me right here to this pulpit, to a place that I love, the place I don't want to leave until I can't physically do it anymore. And God can do the same thing with you if you'll just obey him and believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. We thank you, Lord, that it is truth. Oh, Lord, uh, there are so many times that we come to you in prayer and we say the prayers. And at, at the same time, we leave and say, well, God, this can't do that. But Father, we have seen you do, some, do those things time after time after time again in the lives of the saints. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us those examples. And we pray, Father, that you'll help our unbelief. But we have a God, Lord, and you are certainly able to do it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.